Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I'm so excited today to welcome a guest that I'm meeting for the first time, but I've read her book and I was so, so grateful for it. Her book is called The Life-Saving Divorce. Now, good Christian women don't often talk about divorce and you are right about it, but this is an amazing book. And I want you to meet Gretchen Baskerville and I want you to hear her story and what led her to write this book. Because for many of you listening to this podcast, you are in this place of uncertainty. You don't know whether to stay or to go, whether you should try harder or you should give up, whether you should forbear and cover a multitude of sins or say, this is not a trustworthy person and I can't stay in this relationship any longer. And so I've asked Gretchen to come and share her wisdom. She is uh, works with divorce recovery. She's uh, had to go through a life-saving divorce herself. She has studied about this. She has consulted about this. She has read hard, done her homework, and she has come out with an amazing book that I just want to talk with her about so that you can get the, the nuggets from it. And if it pertains to your situation, you're going to run and get this book for yourself. So welcome, Gretchen. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Leslie. And I love your books too. I've got at least three of them right there on my bookshelf, two feet away from me. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate other women validating um, my work and me to be able to validate your work. I think it's been a long haul for women to have a voice in the Christian community that is trusted and respected. Um, and I'm sure you have your naysayers as, as I do, but I thank you for supporting my work and I want to support yours. But uh, we were talking earlier that you went to Wheaton College. My brother went to Wheaton College. Actually, my whole family lives in the Wheaton area. So how did a good Christian girl who went to Wheaton College, a conservative Christian college, come to write a book on life-saving divorce? And I love that you put life-saving because this isn't a casual divorce. You're not talking about, oh, we're not right for each other. Oh, I found someone better. You're not talking about that kind of divorce. You're talking yeah, about Yeah, it's not serious. that, you know, we, we grew apart. <laughs> yeah. um, believe me, I never wanted to write a book on divorce. I was brought up in a wonderful Christian home. My parents are genuine believers who've been married 60 years and counting. I was one of those goody two-shoes Christian girls. I, not perfect, of course. I'm a sinner like everyone else. But, you know, I never drank or smoked or had premarital sex. I mean, I loved the Lord. I was passionate about church. I was part of the youth group and the youth choir. I'm not going to say that I never ditched on a Sunday morning. I went to Jack in the Box across the street. But I was passionate about the Lord. And um, I was one of those teenagers who stayed up late at night reading my Bible uh, long after bedtime and got in trouble for that. And I ended up going to Wheaton College and I started as a pre-med, but I really sensed the Lord was telling me to get my degree in Bible and Christian education instead. And so I graduated, went straight into a Christian organization, and then met my husband a few years later. This is in the 1980s. And when I walked down that aisle in my white wedding dress in front of 300 people at my home church, I was the virgin bride who was just deeply in love with and sexually attracted to my husband. I even wrote letters to Christian magazines explaining how I would do marriage right. 
I followed all the steps. I wanted to be an affectionate wife and loving mother. And, and I really set out to do everything right. This was before the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Uh, so those kind of courtships steps weren't out there. But, you know, I made sure that my father, we got my father's agreement to date. And he asked my father's hand uh, for my hand in marriage. And basically, I set out to do everything right. But things didn't turn out the way I had planned. In fact, they turned out destructive. Uh, the loving marriage my faith had promised me if I followed all the rules kind of um, crumbled before my eyes. I remember the, the pastor who did our premarital counseling actually apologized to me about one year after the wedding and said, I'm sorry that I encouraged this. I soon found myself terrified and, and really in unknown territory with uh, two little kids uh, depending on me. This is, you know, over the years. I knew that, that first year that there were problems, but as a devout Christian woman, I, you know, I kind of bought into the idea of you made your bed now lie in it. Right. I wasn't going to go anywhere. I was going to stand by my man and I was going to do what it took before the Lord to do the right thing. So eventually we had two little children and I thought, okay, if I divorce, I am going to be stigmatized. There are all these judgmental messages out there. I knew that things were getting bad, but what could I do? So in those dark times, uh, by God's spirit, the Lord showed me his provision for me and my kids, and he helped me get a life-saving divorce and then helped me rebuild my life afterwards. Let's go back for just a minute, because I think this is such a perfect story, because there's a lot of women who married the wrong man and they knew ahead of time. They knew they were sleeping ahead of time with him or they, you know, were not following the Lord totally. Your story is so precious and so relevant because you punched the ticket. You were the virgin. You did it right. You honored God. You, you know, and so we have this assumption that if I do it all right, of course, I'm going to get Prince Charming. Of course, I'm going to have a happy ending. And I've worked with so many Christian women who are so, not only their relationship with their husband's going south, but their relationship with God is going south because they feel so wronged that somehow their faith let them down, that they did all the right steps. They did everything they were supposed to do. And they're not getting the happy ending. They're not getting the loving husband. They're not having the marriage that they were promised if they did what they were supposed to do. Did you struggle with any of that at all? Oh, absolutely. In fact, even after the divorce, I remember having some times sitting in my bedroom saying, you know, God, I am a really good mom. I protect my children. Why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you protect me? Why did you allow a woman who wanted nothing more but than to serve you? Why did you let me marry this guy? Why did you put me around a, a church and give me a counselor who was so pro-marriage that he actually, even though he had all the right degrees, he was actually a licensed therapist. He bought into this ideology that says, well, God plus you plus me equals a great marriage. Or as long as you pray and stay and forgive and go the extra mile, and forgive 70 times seven, God will guaranteed fix your marriage. And so I 
I had a lot of that kind of, I had anger at God. I had anger at myself. I wondered, I'll tell you a lot of the reason I stayed was because of the stigma of divorce in my own church. I knew because, because my situation involved a lot of sexual immorality that was also illegal. I knew that they would, of all the divorces out there, they would probably be kind of okay with me and with my divorce. But the truth of the matter is I I was hard on myself. I felt like, what does this mean about the quality of my spiritual life that I ended up with a man like this? Don't good girls get good husbands? If you are a virgin when you marry, aren't you supposed to get this great emotionally intimate marriage and mind-blowing sex? What happened here? Maybe there's some secret sin in my life. Mm -hmm. And I would bend myself over backwards trying to think through every single dark corner in my life, trying to find this evil thing that caused me to end up in this kind of horrible, horrible marriage. There were times that I lied to myself and said, certainly I must have, I must be punished for something. So I would actually try to find something. And, and like I said, I'm not perfect, but I really set out to do everything right. And so it was a very difficult situation. At one point in my life, I just realized, well, everyone else around me seems to have really happy mar marriages, but I guess I need to, to believe that happiness is overrated and that I'm just not going to get one of those happy marriages. And I'm sad about that. I'm sad that my husband doesn't really seem to care all that much about me and certainly doesn't really love me the way, you know, Christ called him to, but on you're the just going to have to suffer for Jesus, right? <laughs> I'm just going to have to suffer for Jesus or maybe for this invisible sin I can't figure out. And then how was I ever going to keep a roof over our head? The prior year, I had only made $500, you know, just doing some you know, work on the side. And <laughs> I live in Southern California. Are you kidding? $500 won't even pay for groceries, right. not to mention rent or mortgage or whatever it is, plus a vehicle, plus gas, plus insurance, plus healthcare, plus, you know, all the kids' activities and backpacks and, and all the birthday parties they get invited to. And I, there was no way. There was absolutely no way. I was going to be able to make it. And so I didn't leave until kind of one final shattering event where I, I wish I could tell you, like, I consciously chose to, you know, I weighed all my alternatives and I decided to divorce. No, I was desperate. There was one final, as I said, a shattering event. The, the blinders came off my eyes and I realized, this is it. I've got to get out of here. Absolutely. It's, it's not always a choice. Sometimes it's a desperate leap out into the darkness and you just hope and pray as I did that God is there to catch you because you don't have your ducks in a row. I didn't have any money set aside. I mean, now I have a, a 50 item preparation list for people. Here's what you should do in case you think you might want to leave. It's on my website at lifesavingdivorce.com escape. And I didn't have any of those things put together. I didn't have money, you know, uh, in a, in a little jar in the kitchen. I didn't 
know his social security number, <laughs> all the things you need to have put together, I didn't have. All I knew was I've got to get out. I'm desperate. I've got to go now. And so and, I know, asked, there's, there's women who have to do that for safety reasons. They're terrified and they have to leave right now and they aren't going to have that preparation. And yep. sometimes that's, that's not an option. And then there's other women who kind of know, they just have this sinking feeling that things are going south and, and to start preparing and you give them lots of checklists and things in your book and other things, but what turned the corner for you spiritually? I mean, obviously it seems like you left out of an emotional and fearful safety issue of this crisis, but, but spiritually, what turned the corner for you that maybe divorce was an okay option, not just, I have to do this because of safety, but maybe God is okay with me saying this isn't going to go anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It took a lot of years to be honest with you, to get the voices out of my own mind, my own self stigmatizing voices that somehow this was a reflection of my own lack of personal spirituality or integrity. And that takes a long time. Two years after I asked my husband to leave and just, that was just out of desperation. I found another uh, woman in my church. We were in the same Sunday school class together. She was a single mom raising four kids by herself. I had two kids and I just looked at her in awe and she was about five years ahead of me in the divorce process. And the two of us chit chatted just a little bit. Uh, we cut, usually sat on the other side, opposite sides of the Sunday school classroom. And our church said, you know, we're going to need some new small groups. And if you'd like to start a small group, we'd be willing to consider it. And she and I, like our eyes locked across the room. And we realized that we needed to start a small group at our church for single moms. And most of them were single moms, not due to the fact that they'd never married, but because they they had divorced. And so we started this group. Both of us were sexual infidelity survivors. And as we invited other women, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll hear some stories like, you know, I was just bored with him or I just felt unfulfilled or, you know, I just decided to divorce because I missed the party life or we just grew apart. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't. (laughs) We never heard stories like that. The stories we got from these Christian women were absolutely horrendous. I heard stories about abuse and betrayal that I never dreamed possible. Knives being thrown, them being hiding under under their their beds, being dragged out by their heels. You know, I can go on and on. There's all kinds of stories. But then there was also the emotional abuse as well. And so you ask me, well, what started changing your theology? Frankly, I listened to these people's stories and I thought, wait a second, I've sung Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, all of my life. I've memorized all these scriptures about how God loves us. Can a loving God really say that the only reason you can get out is for infidelity? I mean, these people's stories are so horrifying. Surely God doesn't want them to be in these marriages, they're being destroyed. Their children are being destroyed. They're developing what I now know as, as being PTSD. They're, they're developing chronic health conditions and you know depression and anxiety and OCD and all kinds of things. So slowly but surely, 
I realized, and, and so did my co-leader, wait a second, these women are telling us things like, I wish we could trade places with you. I'd rather have my husband cheat on me than humiliate me in front of the children and demand that I be perfect or he's going to cheat or, you know, treat me with contempt or disdain or dismiss every single opinion I've got. And I thought, whoa, I've, I've never heard anyone say, I wish I could be you. I wish I'd been cheated on. <laughs> um, yeah, and you're, and you're, it sounds like your compassion for their stories kind of tapped you into the heart of God that exactly. God isn't out there saying shame on you for not putting up with this, but oh my gosh, my daughter's being abused. Oh my gosh, my daughter is being so mistreated. And that breaks my heart. Exactly. So first of all, life experience, just discernment and wisdom. You know, the, the Bible calls us not to just kind of be simplistic about our, our taking of the word. We're supposed to take that word and apply it with wisdom and discernment. As I said, I have a Bible degree from Wheaton College. And, and basically, I thought at the time I divorced that I knew every Bible verse about <laughs> divorce. And I was wrong. There were some things that really surprised me, and I'll, I'll give you the kind of the highlights now, but I do have a, an hour-long video on my YouTube channel called God's Protection of Women in the Bible, where I go through all the, the passages about divorce. But first of all, I mean, I, do, I don't want anyone to think that I don't believe in the sanctity of marriage. Of course I do. God meant for marriages to be safe and loving and faithful and lifelong. But God simply knows that some people are determined to be sinful, abusive, unfaithful, indifferent to their spouse. Yeah, the Bible calls and, them wicked and evil and, you know, yeah. those people in this world. And sometimes we marry them unknowing because they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Exactly. We might marry them because we see nothing. I mean, they're genuinely these wolves, as you say, who are so clever. They don't show any signs at all before the wedding. And then there are somewhere where you see a little bit, but you couldn't possibly imagine. Nobody could imagine how bad it could get. And then there's kind of a third category of, well, we know they had problems, but they told us it was in the past and everyone around us was so gung-ho marriage. We thought, okay, God plus me plus you, God will fix any marriage. So we kind of bought in to the messages, our churches and our Christian authors, not you, and our Christian organizations gave us. And nobody ever told us that divorce was really God's righteous rescue plan. And what I found from actually reading scripture was that the Bible is not against all divorce. It's just against unjustified, treacherous divorce. So I did not know that the Bible commands divorce in three places actually commands people to divorce. Oh, unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. Where does the Bible command and, and how does okay. it command? Okay. So I'll, I'll tell you. Exodus 21, uh, 10 and 11, and Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 14, talk about neglect and abuse. And then in the book of Ezra, uh, spiritual adultery, where Ezra told the people, hey, you've been, you know, you've been marrying these wives who are pulling you away from God. You need to divorce them now. There's only one place in the Bible where divorce is prohibited and only in one set of circumstances. And I, I always ask uh, when I get detractors who, you know, uh, you know, I run a very active uh, private Facebook group. So I always have detractors uh, who come to my public page 
and say, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. And I said, don't even talk to me unless you can tell me the three places in the Bible where the divorce is commanded and the one place it's prohibited. Until you can tell me those things, I don't think you know enough about the Bible and divorce. So let me tell you where the Bible prohibits divorce. Okay, brace yourself. It's where a man rapes a woman. He's required to pay her father a fine, basically. But if the father okays a marriage instead, the guy has to pay the the bride price still. The rapist has to pay the bride price. But then he has to care for her, his wife, at the minimum basic requirements required in Exodus 21, 10 through 11, food, clothing, and her marital rights. He's not allowed to just marry her and then dump her at a later time just to cover up his crime, right? Oh yeah, I married her, but then a year later divorce her. He is never allowed to divorce her. Now she can divorce him if she went to the court and said, he's not giving me food or clothing or my marital rights. She can petition the court, but he can't initiate it. So that's very, very interesting. It is Um, very interesting. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I came to understand, and when we talk about discernment and understanding scripture, we have to not only look at the context of the culture and the context of what's going on, And how does that line up with the heart of God? Because just like you had compassion for those women's stories and you're thinking, oh, this is horrible. Does not God have compassion on our situations? And he's not, he's not loving a man more than a woman, or he's not saying you're more important to me. I want you to have sex with this husband because he's treating you horribly because he needs sex, no matter how it feels for you, no matter how he treats you, no matter what he does, that your duty, that's not who God is. That's not his character. That's not how he treated women. So when we look at the character of God and the heart of God and the word of God, they'll have to line up because someone's words have to match their character. And so when we say, oh, God hates all divorce and you have to just stay there, that doesn't match the character of God. Exactly. I couldn't say it better. You know, the, the fact is right now, women, Christian women are being, being told that they have to uh, consent to marital rape. I guess that's sort of a oxymoron. You know, they have to give sex on demand. They have to comply. Yes. And do you know that in ancient Israel, ancient Judaism did not allow for marital rape. Coercion was not acceptable. Why is this being taught in our churches today? Another thing that that changed my mind is that God divorced Israel in Jeremiah 3, 8 due due to spiritual adultery and never took her back. Uh, Israel, the 10 northern tribes were destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. We were never taught in our churches growing up that there are minimum requirements for a man's care for a woman. And uh, I brought up Exodus 21, 10 through 11, and it talks about if a man takes a second wife, okay, this is long ago. I mean, this is 1500 years before Christ, that if he took a second wife, he could not reduce his first wife's food, clothing, and marital rights, meaning love, affection, and sex. In other words, if he was miserly, he he was kind of tired of her. He, you know, married hot wife number two. He couldn't just disregard or discard 
wife number one. He had to meet the minimum required standards for her. And if you look at extra biblical information from that time, the the Jewish courts actually had like, you have to give her this much clothing, (laughs) this much pounds of of barley or whatever it is. I mean, they, they really took it seriously. You have to take care of this wife at wife level. You can't reduce her to concubine level or slave level. And that's the same story in Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 14. If a man sees a POW uh, woman who's really attractive, he can choose to marry her. He has to let her mourn for 30 days. He can't just rape her. And then once he uh, marries her, then he can't a year or two later say, you know, her cooking just isn't all that good. And I don't really like her. And I don't like the way she wears her hair. He can't just say, well, you know, I got her as a POW. I'm just going to send her out in the fields and make her a slave. The Bible doesn't allow that to happen. You can't turn a wife. Anyone who was once a wife cannot be turned into a slave. And And I I love that about that because in the culture, Middle Eastern culture at the time, it was a very patriarchal, oppressive culture to women. Right. And so when God is instructing the Jews about the treatment of women and as well as slaves, it was completely different than what the culture was used to. It was radically different. And so even though for, for our eyes looking at it right now, it seems like, oh my gosh, you would marry somebody who raped you. In that culture, she might as well have been dead if she was raped, right? Yeah. And, so, and so to say that she could be covered by that protection seems kind of barbaric to us, but in that culture, it was a protection for her. And that was something God put in place for no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I should have said that at the beginning, these are almost prehistoric cultures and compared to the cultures around Israel, Israel had much better treatment of women. A woman in Israel who'd been ab- abandoned could remarry pretty quickly, but in the Assyrian empire, according to David in, in Stone Brewer, she might have to wait five whole years to remarry. By that time, she'd be dead. Women really needed the income and protection and food and clothing that came from the man. And so we're talking about some pretty vicious, horrible sounding Bible passages here, but they were unique in the Middle East for really protecting women. And so this man was told, you can't, you're going to have to let her go. You're going to have to divorce her. You can't turn her into a slave. And that means she's going to be able to either go back to her home country if there's anything left, or she could marry another Israelite man. And so this was God's absolute protection for these very low ranking wives, these wives who didn't bring anything to the party. They had no father who cared about them, no dowry that was set aside in trust for them. God even protected them. And it's really a precious story. We're going to stop for today, but rest assured, this is only part one of Leslie's interview with Gretchen Baskerville. On our next episode, Gretchen will unpack some New Testament truths about what God actually has to say about marriage and divorce. Until then, go to lifesavingdivorce.com to learn more about Gretchen's powerful ministry. And thank you for joining us on Relationship Truth Unfiltered.